Well, thanks to Hannah and the team for leading us in worship. Uh, to, to start our service this morning, I, I remembered as I was preparing this that growing up, um, I used to watch WWF or WWE. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but emphasis is when I was growing up, I used to watch WWF and WWE. And I must say that the producers of the show did an excellent job at keeping us at the edge of our seats. Our favorite character would get hit by a chair, then the villain would come and perform his finishing move, putting our favorite character through a table. And then my brother and I, we are sitting on the edge of the couch with our eyes fixed on the TV. Is it over? Will our favorite character lose the world heavyweight championship belt? The guy goes over him. The ref counts. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. He gets up. My brother and I jump up in hysteria, running around the house. He's awake. He's awake. Disclaimer, my mom was at work, so no one was there to beat us. We were living our best lives. So we were running around the house, and out of nowhere, I mean, obviously it's a script. Out of nowhere, our favorite character, he's gone through a table. He gets up with this burst of energy. He sets off a fire extinguisher in the face of the villain, he performs his finishing move. He goes on top of him. He pins him to the ground. One, two, two and a quarter, two and a half for, for the cameras, two and three quarters. Three, the winner and new heavyweight champion of the world. I won't say his name because then you'll judge me. Our favorite character. He then is running around, and my brother and I, we are chanting his name. We are super excited. Our favorite character won. He is the new champion of the WWF, or what is known as the WWE. Now, today I'm not promoting the WWF or WWE, but I will say that the one thing that it taught us is this idea of down, but not out. This idea of you may be down, but you are not defeated. And that's the title of my sermon this morning. You might be here this morning and you are feeling discouraged. But this morning the encouragement is discouraged, but not defeated. You see, we're at that point of the year where many of us are tired. It's been a long year with lots of ups and downs. We've reached that point of the year as well where not only are we tired physically, but it's also the busiest part of the year. Not just the busiest part of the year, but because we live in Pretoria, it's also the hottest part of the year. Where do we get the energy to match this? But outside of the physical fatigue, I know many of us are at the point of this year where we're also experiencing a lot of emotional fatigue. I know there are people who are sitting in this room who have felt as though they've reached their emotional capacity. They've reached that stage where they can say, I can't give anymore. I can't care anymore. There's just been so much opposition this year. It has taken so much out of me. Jabu, I am drained. There are those who are here this morning, who are fatigued emotionally because they've lost their jobs. 
They've lost loved ones. There's sickness in their home. There's the pressure and stress of work. They are experiencing the pressure and stress of school. They're experiencing the pressure and stress of home as well. There are those here who are in the back of their minds thinking about this conflict that's brewing. There's somebody who I'm, I'm not seeing eye to eye with and it's about to explode into an expo- explosion of either fist fights, verbal exchanges, or we're just going to go our separate ways. There are some here who anxiety and fear is nesting in their hearts and minds. Others are just frustrated over corruption and crime in our country. Some are sitting here, their friendships are dying, their marriages have taken strain, and just so much has gone on, and so much is going on, they are emotionally fatigued. But sadly, because of all this opposition, some people are also spiritually fatigued as well. Devotions have slowly faded away. Prayers are now limited to meal times, God bless our food, amen, and emergencies. Sundays have become personal days and they're no longer seen as the Lord's day. Loving others has become an optional burden and sin becomes tolerated eventually to the point where they are idle and ineffective in the kingdom work of Christ. Just the reality that I want to bring us this morning is you will be attacked for pursuing Christ. You will be attacked for pursuing His righteousness. And whenever God's people go about the Lord's business, your efforts will not go unopposed. As you go about looking to honor the Lord with your life, it's a guarantee you will face fierce opposition. The evil one does not want to see each and every living stone that is gathered here today. He doesn't want to see these living stones gathering together to build the temple of God. So he loves to see you discouraged. He wants you to think that you're defeated. But this morning, I want to come with the encouragement to say, hey, you may be discouraged, but do not be defeated. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to read just the first 14 verses, but I want to touch on the whole chapter. So Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll just read from verse 1 to verse 14. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Verse 4, Hear, O our Lord, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. They are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. 
But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open spaces, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Pray with me this morning. Father, we sang the song and the song really is a prayer. And we prayed this morning as well that as we go through your word, won't you please show us Christ? Oh God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses Christ is Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and may your spirit speak through me, Lord, as your vessel. I pray, God, that I wouldn't be a distraction, but that, God, I would speak clearly that which you have prepared in my heart. And I pray as well that I would speak with boldness, Lord, your truth. I pray, Father, that you'd keep me from my own sinful thoughts and my own sinful heart. And God, I pray that you'd even prepare the hearts of those who are receiving your word, that God, they'll receive it as words from you. That God, you challenge each and every one of us this morning, but God, also encourage us. If there's someone here this morning listening to this message, and God, they they are at their point of despair. God, they are discouraged, or they're at the point where they're about to give up. I pray, Father, that this message would be for them. That, God, by your Spirit, you would encourage them with your word and you would help them to know that, God, you are here. Our strength comes from you. I also pray for those who are encouraged, who are joyful, Lord, who things are currently going their way. Remind them as well that, God, even in their joy, that, Father, their joy must be rooted in you. For all that they have comes from you. And apart from you, God, we have nothing. So God, lead this time. I pray that it will be a time of worship. And I pray that it will be a time that is honoring to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So to give us a little bit of context for our passage this morning. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the exile and he receives word. We see in chapter 1 that it says that the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah receives this news about the promised land and it breaks him. It breaks him to the point where he falls down in tears, he falls to the ground and he mourns over the state of the promised land. But this morning I want us to notice 
that his mourning led him to the Lord. We see it says in chapter 1 again that he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He said, O God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open and hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. From this time of prayer, Nehemiah would, would providentially, God in his providence and sovereignty, would lead the king to give Nehemiah permission to go back to Jerusalem to examine the state of the wall. But Nehemiah would not just go back to examine the state of the wall, but he'd also go back to rally the troops, to encourage the saints that, hey, there's work to be done. We see this in chapter 2. It says, he says, you see the trouble we are in in verse 17, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. He then says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. And in chapter 3, we see the work begins. You see, when I read this passage, I was encouraged of our own spiritual journey, our own journey to salvation. How we were taught from scripture and we often taught from this pulpit of the great trouble that we were in or that we are in. Of the great trouble that this world is in. We are taught from scripture that we are dead in our trespasses and sins as we were conceived in sin. Our hearts are in desperate need for transformation and our souls need life. If someone had to send a report about the state of your heart and mine, the, the, the report would say that there is great need, the walls are broken, we are dead, we need life. The person restoring the wall has to come and preach the gospel. Some here have heard it. You heard the gospel. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You were filled with joy. You were filled with love to serve God because, praise God, you were saved. At that point, you were now happy, so you rally the troops around us to attend the local church, to participate in the means of grace. You're still in a spiritual high. You rally believers to join you in praying for the unbelieving world, to actively pursue the loss of the gospel of Christ. Still in a spiritual high, we reject the things of this world that are passing away. We press on to the things of Christ because we know that our citizenship is in heaven. This is our spiritual journey. We heard we were in trouble, we got saved, we're in a spiritual high, we're serving God, we're rejecting the world. But after some time, this fire dies. After some time, this fire for Jesus, this fire for God, this joy for the kingdom work of God is easily quenched by the worries and trouble of our age. The believer starts to sound and reason like the world. 
the hope and the peace that Christ has given us slowly fades away and our security now rests in that which can be easily taken away, that which can die, that which can be stolen, that which moth and rust can destroy. So we place our joy in things that are so easily taken away from us, and in essence, there is no joy. My question this morning is, is this you? Have you now drifted away from God and you now at this place where God is no longer your source of hope, your security is now in this world, you no longer have the joy of the Lord, you're no longer participating in his kingdom work. Is this you? Notice the troubles that plagued the remnant. And it's my first point this morning. Relentless opposition. I called it relentless opposition because this opposition was present from the time they were planning the work all the way to its completion. Check chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, But when Sanballat the, the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It was not enough for them to be displeased and to come against the work in verse 10. We see again in verse 19 that they come again. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You see, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom sought to bring discouragement to the nation Israel that the work would stop. And the discouragement that they brought came in the form of criticism and it also came in the form of sarcasm. Now, when I, when I wrote this down, I just realized that it's often not preached from the pulpit the malicious nature of sarcasm. It often breaks down more than it builds up. It allows us to get away with offending and discouraging people without us looking like the bad guy. You all know I'm just joking, right? But that's a sermon for another day. You see, the call to live a godly life, friends, is a hard one. It's a hard one on its own without the external opposition that we receive from the world. You see, we are already involved in constant warfare with our own flesh internally. We don't need the external pressure from the demonic forces of the world. And yet they come in their droves. They come flooding in. Opposition from outside is ever present. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the demonic schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, hev- in the heavenly realms. You see, Sanballat and his friends hated the Jews because of their piety. They hated the Jews because the Jews were a religious people. They hated the fact that the Jews saw the Lord as their portion. They, they saw his work was their priority. They were doing that which, would, that which God had called them to do, and in this process they were prospering. So the opposition were hungry. They were hungry to see them fall, and they were hungry to see them desert and leave the Lord. 
Does this sound familiar? As you're working towards God, you experience external opposition. But notice John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus says these words. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Notice in chapter 4 that the mocking that Sanballat sent to Nehemiah was more than just insults. It was more than just cruel jokes. In chapter 4 it says, When Sanballat heard that the Jews were building the wall, he was angry, he was greatly enraged, he jeered at the Jews, and he sought to kill them. Notice in verse 11, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, Ten times, you must return to us. You see, what the enemy did is they came, they ridiculed their stature, calling them feeble Jews. Ah, you're a weak Christian. They came, they mocked their character. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? They mocked their discipline. Will they finish up in a day? Have you heard that today? Your discipline being mocked, ach, you won't stand for Jesus when opposition comes. They mocked their material status. When they, it says when they revived the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burnt ones at that, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You see, the truth is, the nation Israel didn't have the best materials. But what is interesting is in the, in the opposition's harsh words, they used a little bit of truth. And sometimes that's what happens to us as well. The evil one comes and he deceives us and he says, yes, you don't have enough for the kingdom work of Christ. And when you look at your current position, it might be true. I don't have the material means to do what, to do what I think God is calling me to do. And in that, he brings a deception and he says, so because you don't have enough, stop the work. On top of this, they were told 10 times by their own countrymen who heard the schemes of the evil one and their countrymen panicked at the threat and they came to them 10 times telling them to return home, telling them to run for they will not finish the work. Can you imagine? The score is 28-29. There's five minutes left in the game. The Springboks are losing. They have 28. The New Zealanders have 29. Andre Pollard has the ball. And then the bench, the bomb squad of the South African team is yelling to Andre Pollard, just give them the ball. We already lost already. Or imagine Bafana Bafana. The score is 2-1. It's the final minute we have a penalty. And as the penalty taker is about to take this winning penalty, we hope, his whole teammates around the box are yelling at him, just kick it over the post. We lost already. There's no way we can win this game. 
That's encouraging, right? <laughs> Not really. You see, this is what the builders of the wall heard frequently from their own countrymen. See, the truth is opposition does not always come in a predictable way. It comes, yes, from within our hearts. It comes from the world, those who hate Jesus. But often it also comes from within the camp. The people who are to be building alongside us can also become the greatest hindrance to the work of building the kingdom of Christ. They can also be critical and sarcastic, looking to ridicule instead of edifying, showing partiality in their service, showing partiality in their love for you and the rest of the saints. They keep their gifts at home. They keep their talents at home while ridiculing the efforts of those who are faithfully doing the work of God. You see, the devil's tactics are not always straightforward. They're not always as we expect. The devil is crafty beyond our imaginations. He fights dirty. He fights subtly. He will always bring something. He will not always bring something that clearly opposes the Bible or that clearly opposes Christ. But he will attack the church by simply bringing doubts in your mind. Will you ever make it? Will you ever be able to please God? Will God ever forgive you of that sin? There's no way you can please God after you've done that. You're too far gone for the grace of God. Is all this religion even true? You see, he gets you to a place where you once again trust your works more than you trust Christ. He gets you discouraged as you fail to please God by your own Christless efforts. And then he isolates you. He gets you in a place where you even start questioning the body of Christ which he died for. Can I really trust anyone in the church? Surely I can do this Christianity thing on my own. I don't need the local church. Will God even be victorious? You see, not only does he challenge your mind, but he also comes in and he attacks your body with sickness. He also attacks your heart with anxiety and fear. He gets you to question your salvation. He gets you to question your ability to endure through Christ. His chief goal is to paralyze you to the place where you lose focus in Christ. Your attention gets consumed by earthly things. You lose your security and your hope in Him. You lose your drive to live for Christ. You lose your vision for the mission of Christ. And notice what happened in verse 10. In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. This is exactly where the evil one wants you to be. Vulnerable and fatigued at the halfway point. Most of the work has been done, but there's rubble to be cleared before the rest of the wall can be built up. But where there's rubble, it looks like too much work. 
You see, where there's rubble and you're at the halfway point, it means that the newness of the project is fading away. And now what is left is the sore part, the hard part of the work, the part of the work that requires you to be disciplined. As I was preparing, I enjoyed the words of a commentator who said, in our Christian life, nothing much can be built for God's glory unless the rubbish is swept away as well. Taking out the garbage can be a discouraging work, but it must be done. See, the truth is we can build around the rubbish, we can build around the rubble for long enough, but we'll always get to a certain point where we can build no more. It can't be justified anymore. Clear the rubbish, put on the new foundations of Christ, and get the work going. Just this morning, my encouragement to you is we can get up. Let us get up and get back at the work that Christ has called us to in building his kingdom. But this will require my next point, a resilient attitude. A resilient attitude. Nehemiah's attitude is founded in the statement in chapter 2, verse 20. It says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So the truth is, Nehemiah was not trusting in any architectural skill. Nehemiah was not trusting in any engineering expertise. He was not trusting in equipment, but he was trusting in all that he had, and all that he had was God, and that was more than enough. Can I say that again? Nehemiah was trusting in all that he had, and all that he had was God, and that was more than enough. And because Nehemiah knew this and because he believed this, he didn't answer this man according to their foolishness. He did not stoop to their level, but he looked up to God and he prayed. You see, the one thing that Sanballat and his friends did not take into account was that God was working through Nehemiah. God was working through the nation Israel and he had promised to see them through the work. I read a quote by John Piper as I was preparing this. And I have it up on the board there. It says, It takes God-given power to endure. But I love this because it didn't just end there. He says, It takes God-given power to endure, but to endure with joy. So we pray. See, the, prim- the principle that gave Nehemiah great strength was that he fixed his eyes up to the heavens when he saw what was coming horizontally. He was a man who had great trust in God. As you see in verse 9, he says, And we prayed to our God, and we set a God as protection against them day and night. Nehemiah's resilience was evident because he knew that greater is he who is in him than he who is in the world. So Nehemiah prayed. When he received the news about the wall, he prayed. Before he approached the king, he prayed. 
When he faced opposition, he prayed. See, Nehemiah knew that the task that was set before him was far beyond his physical strength. It was far beyond his abilities, but he knew the God who works in him. He is the God who was for him, and he was a mighty God. He knew that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed again. Nehemiah prayed some more. But I want us to notice that Nehemiah didn't just pray and sit back. But Nehemiah prayed and acted in obedience. He acted in obedience to what God had called him to do. And that obedience was powered by prayer. So this morning I want to ask you. Are you struggling with sin? Pray to God. Pray to God and actively put it to death. Find accountability and set the necessary guardrails. Set the necessary boundaries. So as you pray, act in obedience to God. Are you looking for a job? Pray. Pray to God who is our provider. Pray that he would provide you with work. But as you pray, actively look for work. Apply, apply, apply. Are you struggling with an unbelieving parent? An unbelieving spouse? Unbelieving children? Pray to God. Pray to God and live a Christ-honoring life. Expose them to the gospel. Maintain the aroma of Christ, praying that at his time, he will save them prayerfully through your witness. Do you have a horrible boss? Pray. Pray for him. Pray for her. But whilst you pray for them, work in excellence as unto the Lord that your witness will not be hindered by their sin. But also pray for direction. God, do you want me to stay here? If so, please give me strength to endure and persevere. God, do you want me to to leave? If yes, lead me to where you'd want me to be. Open the doors for me, for where you go, that is where I will go. Are you sick? Pray to God like Hezekiah. Trust the Lord's will for your life. Take the necessary steps to seeking health and maintaining a godly witness that shouts, only God can heal me. But if he doesn't, I know my God and I know that he means it for my good. For my God is awesome, my God is holy, he reigns forever, he reigns with power and wisdom, my God is an awesome God, and because I know my God who is working through me, I can shout, it is well in my soul, even in my sickness. Do you get the point? We don't have a guarantee about the outcomes of our lives. We don't have a guarantee about the outcome of our efforts, but we know the God who does. He is the God who said, your strength is made, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. He is the God who said, he will never leave you or forsake you. We will face adversity. We will face fierce trials in this world, but remember the words of Jesus. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, be encouraged, do not be defeated, for Jesus has overcome the world. Amen? Betsy Howard wrote, We would never choose suffering for ourselves. But when God allows suffering into our lives, he gives us opportunities to experience Jesus that we would not otherwise have. So to close, I'd like to close with the ruling keeper. The ruling keeper. Verse 14, it says, And I, look, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we returned to the work. Sorry, we returned to the war, each to his work. Church, God is our ruling keeper. I want to encourage you, take time to read through the book of Nehemiah. It will only take you 58 minutes, which is less than a movie these days. It's less than a typical Netflix series. If you can't do 58 minutes, you can do it in two halves. There's 13 chapters. Read six and read seven. Oh, my math is bad. Oh, it's, it's good math, good math. But I want you, as you read through the book of Nehemiah, see the providential hand of God. See how, as, see how he led the nation to actually finish the work of building the wall. This same sovereign God is working out his will in my life and in yours through all the events that we are going through for his glory and the completion of his temple made up of the living stones. So God will build his temple using all the living stones present today. So trust that the work will be completed, but believe that even through the difficulties of the building process, God is there. What the world, what sin, what the evil one meant for evil against you. Please believe God. Don't believe me. Believe God at his word that he means it for your good. Joseph believed this. He believed this when he was threatened with death. He believed when he was thrown into a pit, when he was sold and transported, when he was falsely accu accused and thrown into prison. Finally, when he, when he was raised to power, when he died in a, in a foreign land, he believed in God's providential, um, God's providential sovereignty over his life. But do notice that he did not know exactly what God's will would look like. He did not know that his, his pathway to the power in Egypt would mean that he would have to be sold. That he would be hated by his brothers. That he would be falsely accused. He did not know that, but he trusted God at his word. And he trusted that God's will would work out for his good. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and I want to encourage us with this this morning. You may be hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. You may be perplexed, but not in despair. You may be persecuted, 
but not abandoned. You may be struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. Why? For Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Church, life is hard. Living out a godly witness in this world is hard. The work that awaits us for the building of the kingdom is hard. But listen to the words that Nehemiah said to the people. The work is great and widely spread, so we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. The work is great, but you are not alone. God, in his omniscience, knew that you'd need to be encouraged. He knew that you'd need to be edified. And that's why he gave you his body made up of these different members sitting here today with him as his head. So I want to encourage you. If you are discouraged, do not flee from us. If you are overwhelmed, if you are in great despair, I want you to know that we are in this together as a local body. God has placed us in each other's lives to help those who are being discouraged to see Christ so that they know that in the midst of their trouble, Christ is near and they are not defeated. So as I close, I remember this song. A song I heard a long time ago, and again, God's providence. He brought the song as I was preparing. And the words say, Many are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many they be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me my glory and the lifter of my head. Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and my lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept and awake, for the Lord sustained me. Praise God, the Lord sustained me. For thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So be encouraged. That you may be discouraged this morning, but you're not defeated. But before I close, like all movies, there's the credits, and then after the credits... There's that last part, post-credit scene. What about the opposition? What about those who persecute you? Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind 
to work. If you believe that God will be victorious, if you believe that vengeance belongs to the Lord, you too should have the mind to work. Death will be defeated. Every tear will be wiped away. Every enemy will be defeated. Vengeance will be accomplished by our God. Victory will be sweet in Jesus. And praise God, the temple will be built. The kingdom will be built. For he who started the work will see to it till the day of completion. Let us pray. Father, within our own hearts, God, there's great turmoil. A great war is raging in our hearts, God, where our flesh constantly wants to live, to pursue its own pleasures. The Spirit of God also dwells within us, convicting us of sin, convicting us to righteousness. And Lord, this battle is raging in our hearts. And God, whilst we sometimes feel fatigued by this battle in our hearts, there's even a battle happening outside where there's opposition opposing the work that is being done for building your kingdom. The work of us trying to live righteously. There's opposition. And God, many times we're fatigued. God, indeed, this has been a long year. There's been a lot of death, a lot of sickness. God, there's been a, a lot of uncertainty. And God, many people are fatigued. And God, this year, I mean, at this point of the year with restrictions being lifted, people are just scrambling to get things together. People are busy. And Lord, many are just going with emotions, forgetting you and pursuing these things that may be good but are earthly things and are forgetting the work of your kingdom. Father, to, today I want to pray for those who have been discouraged. God, I, I want to lift them to you. And God, I, I feel in my heart I'll be doing a disservice to this sermon if, if I don't make this appeal. So if, if you are sitting here this morning and, and you are saying, Jabu, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm here this morning and my heart is heavy and, and I, I just want prayer. Please pray for me. I want to just quickly just raise up your hand and I'll acknowledge you and you can put your hand down. I see that hand there. I see your hand as well. I see your hand. I see your hand as well. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you if you're feeling discouraged. So God, you've seen the hands that have gone up. God, you know exactly what they're going through and God, I, I, I don't. But God, I'm grateful that God, you know our needs before even we did. You are the God who is not only sovereign and transcendent, but God, you are an eminent God who dwells within our hearts. And God, you are right there with us to strengthen us, to endure all things. You have given us joy. You have given us love. And God, you've given us peace that surpasses all understanding. So God, I do pray for those who have, who have lifted up their hands. And God, even others who are discouraged but didn't have the courage to raise up their hand. God, I do pray that you'd encourage them this morning. 
God, help them to know that, Lord, they may be discouraged today, but they, they should not be defeated because we have victory in Jesus. I pray, God, that you'd help them to fix their eyes on Jesus. And, and like Nehemiah, help them, Lord, to pray. Help them to pray. And God, help them to pray some more. But God, I also pray for us as a body, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to be a people who pray for each other. God, there are many people in our body who are going through the most. Lord, who are going through things that, Lord, we, we may not never even hear of. But God, I thank you that we can pray to you, the God who intercedes for us. The God who has given us his spirit, who even speaks for us. God, I pray that this morning you would lift burdens, Lord. I pray this morning that people would leave here, Lord, feeling their, lights, their hearts lighter as they cast their burdens to you. I pray, Father, that you would encourage them as only you can. Would overwhelm them with your love, God, I pray. God, I also pray if there's someone sitting here this morning who does not know you. God, I pray that they would know that Lord, this encouragement is not a blank check. It's not for everyone. It's only for those who believe in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Those who have confessed their sin and, and acknowledge that, Lord, they are sinners before a holy God, condemned already to hell for all eternity. But God, in his mercy and his love, came to die on the cross for their sins, that if they place their faith in you, God, you will forgive them of all their sins, and you will draw them to yourselves, and they can have that awesome privilege to be called your children. God, I pray that you'd save them this morning. God, I pray that you'd do a great work here, Lord. Uplift our hearts, encourage our hearts. But Lord, not just for the sake that we would feel good, but Lord, also for the sake that we would get back to the work, the work that you have called us to, Lord. May your work not be burdensome, but may it be joyful as we are serving this great God who is worthy of all praise. So God, thank you in Jesus' name.